Um, I'm Mike Rutledge. I am the director of arts here at K2 and uh, looking forward to just the next few minutes that we have to spend together and uh, just talk with you. We're, we're in a series. It's the third week of a series called Get Your Life Back. And uh, if you've been here for the past two weeks, you've heard Dave uh, Nelson talking, uh, kind of looking at Matthew chapter 5. Uh, and in Matthew chapter 5, if you know, that starts off with, that's the Sermon on the Mount, and he uh, starts with the Beatitudes. And we're sort of looking through the Beatitudes and understanding uh, Jesus' context and helping us in route to get, getting our lives back, getting back on track with the life that Jesus has called us to. And two weeks ago, uh, Dave talked about giving in, and that's just where he looked at receiving God's power and uh, then uh, that was blessed are the poor in spirit. And then last week was look up. That's blessed are those who mourn. And what he looked at was understanding that not only do we have a God who cares about us, but he actually can do something about it. He cares and he can do something. And this week, uh, we're going to be looking uh, back at the Beatitudes and blessed are the meek. And we're going to be trying to figure out what exactly is keeping us from committing our lives completely to God's control and care. And, uh, you know, I love that song by the Bleachers, the opening song that we did. And a couple lines just jumped out at me that, that I think are pretty appropriate for the morning. The first one was, he said, I didn't know I was broken till I wanted to change. I want to get better. And I, I just have this gut sense that for all of every single person in this room this morning, we've all experienced that. You know, the kind of life experience where you're driving your car down the road, life is fantastic, and then the check engine light comes on. <laughs> all of a sudden, you didn't know everything was broken, now you do. And you, then you start thinking, you know, there was that, kind of was acting kind of weird, you know, and you start taking inventory and you realize, yeah, I got some stuff I got to deal with. Or like, uh, you're, you love your house, just amazing house, and then it rains, and <laughs> dripping comes in. You're like, oh, yep, I have a problem I wasn't aware of. Or, the, uh, you know, or maybe, uh, guys, you're watching the football game, or ladies, maybe you're watching Say Yes to the Dress or whatever. Yeah. And uh, my wife, not me, I don't. <laughs> but uh, you're watching TV, life is fantastic, and you hear these words. We need to talk. And you've just went from everything is fantastic to, uh-oh, stuff is not fantastic. For me, uh, uh, this is a long time ago when I still lived in Michigan. Um, somehow, I, if you know me uh, very well, you know that I love music and I'm involved in recording and, and I just enjoy doing that. And uh, this is, you know, a long time ago. Living in Michigan, I started just recording a little demo of a band I was in. And uh, somehow a friend of mine... Uh, got a hold of it. I don't even know how. He listened to me. He's like, man, that's really good. Would you, would you record our band? And I'm like, well, I, I don't know what I'm doing, actually. I just, oh, you'll be fine. Come on and do it. So I, I said, all right. And I recorded that band as well, and, and, and that project turned out pretty well, and someone else heard that, and they're like, hey, would you do our band? I'm like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, well, you'll, it seems like you do, so just come on and do it. So, and it just kept happening like that, and I started to get really busy to the point where I was kind of like, gone a lot of nights in the week, driving across in Detroit. Metropolitan Detroit is much larger than the Salt Lake uh, Valley here. And so I was driving all over town until the wee hours of the morning. And I just, and, and 
life was great because I was loving what I was doing. And just in a moment, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired and I'm never seeing my family. And I said, you know, I should, just out loud, I'm like, man, I should just put a studio in my house. Kind of half joking. And the guys I was recording with, like, you should. We'd record with you. It's you we like. Never had that thought until that very moment. I'm like, okay, something's broken and I got to fix this. So I ended up putting the studio in and continued to pursue that. The other, the other line in the song that I noticed, because for many of us, there's stuff in our life. Let me just say this first. For many of us, there are things in our life, and I'm not talking about the actual check engine light or the leak in the roof. I'm talking in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls, in our experiences, and our relationships, that there are things in our life that we don't always or aren't always aware of that need some attention that are broken. And sometimes it takes the check engine light or an experience or a moment to kind of cue our brain into understanding, I got to get better. But the other line that that stuck out to me is sort of a flip side of this, and, and the line in the song says this, woke up this morning early before my family from this dream where she was trying to show me how a life could move from the darkness. She said, get better. For many of us here this morning, it's not that we're not aware of what's going on or we're not aware of a problem that we're experiencing. We just don't know how it could move from the darkness into the light. We don't know how can this problem, I have a significant or many problems, maybe they're not even that significant, but we have problems in our life and we just don't know why I'm experiencing these problems and how can I get from where I am to where I should be. And that's exactly, in a spiritual sense, what I want to be looking at with us this morning and talking about. The good news, I say this all the time if you've heard me speak, the good news is this, we're not the first people in the history of the world to have to deal with this. God's word has tons to say about that. And that's where I want to look. I want to dive into the word of God and understand what does he think about these very things, about getting better and coming back to letting go of the stuff in our life that's keeping us from being in the right relationship that God desires for us. And I want to start by jumping into Matthew chapter 5 with the Beatitudes. Again, we've talked about uh, last three weeks. There are a few of these, these blessed are. You remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the poor in spirit and blessed are those with a pure heart and all these blessed things. And, and they'll, they're going to receive something. And I think it's really important before we dive into exactly the specifics of of these statements that Jesus makes is just to understand the scenario. And what happens is Jesus is, uh, he's with his disciples, and I, I think too often we think that Jesus only had 12 followers. The reality is he was a rabbi in the day, and he was gaining popularity, and people were starting to follow and flock after him to embrace his teachings. And it's probably safe to say that he actually had thousands of followers but probably at varying degrees. Like not everyone liked the disciples who were totally down, right? He had some that were totally down. The 12 disciples would certainly be in that category. And, and then he had others who were maybe a little bit closer, but not quite sure they're there yet. And then we have the fringes. That, and so he sees this crowd that gathers, and he starts to teach them. And as soon as I read that, I thought to myself, you know what that reminds me of? K2. Where we have people here every Sunday on a spectrum of never even his first time in a church building, maybe, 
not believing a word of the gospel to people who are fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. And I just want you to know something this morning. Wherever you are in that spectrum, here's what's awesome to me, that this is applicable to you. Whether you've never taken that first step of believing him or whether you've been a follower of Jesus for years and years and years and years. And the thing that's important to understand is this, that these blessed are statements are what we would call, they are descriptive, not prescriptive. What do I mean by that? What I mean, and this is really important that we understand this, these are, Jesus is making these statements not as a point of, if you do this, you will receive righteousness, you will become a, a Christian. He's, he's not saying that. What he's saying is, if you are a follower, if you are a believer, you should look like this. And I want to be really clear on that because in this culture that we live in, it's very easy to confuse that I can do things to earn my righteousness. If I act a certain way and if I do certain things and if I obey a certain way and behave a certain way, I will get righteousness. And I cannot tell you there's nothing further from the truth when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The only hope that we have in any righteousness before God is Jesus Christ, blood on the cross, that he gives to us. It's called imputed righteousness. And as a response to that, our lives change. Very, very important for us to understand. Now, this statement in, in specific, he says, blessed are the meek, for they're going to inherit the earth. And so often when we hear the word meek, we often think meek is weak, and it's not. Meek actually means gentleness, or that I am, uh, an example that's often used is uh, power under control. I did a message on this a while ago, power under control. It's like, like a horse, a, a horse that is broken. All kinds of power to do all kinds of crazy stuff, but it's controlled. And meekness in this context is talking about us being controlled by what? Ourselves? But by what? Jesus Christ. We, allow to, we submit our lives to his control and follow his desires and teachings for our life. Again, not to earn anything, but as a response to his gift to us. And what I, I, I just want us to understand that I believe that there are about five things, as best as I can find, five different things that keep us from being in the full relationship with Jesus Christ that we're called to be. Things that make us take life into our own hands. We're going to control. We're going to be in charge. We're going to make the decisions. And I want to talk about what those five things are this morning because I believe that every single person in this room, whether you're a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ or whether you've never taken that first step, we all have areas in our life that fall into these five categories that keep us from being completely, completely controlled by Jesus Christ. I just want to pray and then we're going to dive into these things. Would you guys pray with me? Father, I just know that you want to speak to all of us this morning. You want to speak to me. You want to speak to the people that are working here this morning. And every single person in this seat, you have something to say. And I pray that you would soften our hearts to hear your voice, receive your word, and then be humble to put these practices into place, not to earn anything, 
but to be in the right relationship with you that you desire for us. Lead our time this morning, Jesus. We ask this in your name. Amen. So I want to talk about the five things that I believe keep us from being in that right relationship with Jesus Christ. And the first is this, pride. We see in Proverbs 18, 12, no one is respected unless he's humble. Arrogant people are on their way to ruin. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward. But what I want to do in a deeper sense is look at a case study of someone who I think demonstrates, and this person incidentally was a fully devoted follower of Jesus Christ, who had an issue with pride and it kept him from completely following Jesus the way he was supposed to. It's one of his disciples, Peter. Now, Peter was the guy who was always lit up about stuff. If you've read the New Testament, he's always on fire about something and super passionate, you know. You know people like this, right? Really fire. Everything is always, like life is always on 11, you know. That's kind of Peter. And I just want to start reading this. It's found in Mark chapter 14. We'll pick up in verse 27, and I'm going to read, and then I want to just talk about what, what, what's going on here. And it goes like this. And Jesus said to them, you will all fall away. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even though they all fall away, I will not And Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. All right. So what's happening here is Jesus Christ is talking about the fact that he's going to be taken uh, into uh, you know, prison and thrown before Pilate and, and, and these scribes and these Pharisees are all going to judge him and they're going to try and figure out a way to crucify him and kill him. And he's saying, and it's going to happen. Okay? It's going to happen. Not only is it going to happen, but he's saying, let me just, let me just, just give you a little heads up. He, so he quotes scripture. It is written. It's going to happen. All right? The scripture already predicts this. And what's Peter's response? Oh, not me. He says, well, it's written that I'm going to strike the shepherd and the sheep are going to scatter. Nope, not me. So Jesus says, well, let me just, okay, maybe you didn't, let me just clarify because maybe you missed it. Actually, it's going to happen tonight. Because before the rooster crows, you're going to die me three times. Peter comes back again, more emphatically this time. He's like, no, man, no, yo, no, not happening, not this guy. Now, we've already got Jesus, who's a pretty knowledgeable guy and kind of in touch with God, probably knows the plan, but Peter is providing correction for him. Even after quoting the scripture, nope, you got it wrong, Jesus. I'm not going to do it. Now, I want to flip over to another passage, and this passage is similar in context. It's a different time, and it happens previous to this, because as Jesus was getting closer to his time when he knew this was going to happen, he tries to help the disciples become aware, the 12 disciples specifically, become aware of what's about to happen. We're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 16, and it goes like this. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. 
But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay. What happens here? This is, again, Jesus is sort of his preemptive time to, to let them understand that stuff's about to go sideways. Now, Peter, his response is interesting to me. It says, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Rebuke means to criticize or express discontent or concern over behaviors and actions. So, really interesting. I've got to believe that if you feel you're good enough to start rebuking Jesus, you might have a pride issue. Just the thought. <laughs> Creator of the world, and you're going to rebuke him. I don't know. Seems like potentially a problem. And here's what's interesting. If you remember just before this, uh, Jesus had changed his name from Simon to Peter, and now he calls him Satan. Wrong progression, probably. <laughs> Peter's probably going, let's go back to Peter. I like that one better. But anyway, um, and what he says to him, he calls him Satan. He says, because your mind's on earthly stuff, not heavenly stuff. And what's actually happening in the moment is Jesus is going, hey, this is going down, and you can fight it in your own strength. You can try and control and manipulate and manage this for your outcome, but it's not going to work. And I'll just tell you this, that for many of us, we still rebuke Jesus by choosing bits and pieces of what we decide to believe. No, that's not true. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to go with that. That's not true. I like this part. The blessing part's good. And we start to pick and choose the parts of Jesus we want, and we discard the other. We rebuke him. And the problem is it leads to nothing good. You can't do it that way. Here's what's interesting about Peter. Remember Mr. On 11, fired up guy? Uh... Judas, if you recall, kisses Jesus in the garden as a sign of betrayal so they would know who it was. And uh, one of the disciples cuts off one of the centurion, uh, one, of, one of the guard's ears. You know why he cut off the guy's ear? Because he missed his neck. Okay? Now, a centurion sent 100. He would oversee up to 100 different guards. So he could have, there could have been as many as 100 people in the garden, and Peter, with his sword, is going to take them all down with his own strength. Despite the fact that Jesus already told him it's going to happen, Peter's going to come against, make it happen his own way. And in the end, you know what happens? Everything that Jesus predicted comes true. And Peter, uncharacteristically to his personality, ends up denying Christ to a mere servant girl. One minute he's cutting off people's heads, and the next minute, because of his pride, he's denying Christ to a servant girl. And here's the question for all of us today. Do you have areas of pride in your life that are keeping you from being fully devoted to following and under the control of Jesus Christ. 
And I'll just tell you this, that for many of us, when you receive Christ for the very first time, you kind of get it. You go, I'm kind of, I'm wretched, I need a Savior. Thank God he sent the Savior, I receive him, and we understand that our righteousness is totally him. But for some of us, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years later, we're, we've been followers of Christ, and now we're leading small groups, and now we're, now we're teaching on Sundays, and now we're in the band, and we're on a serving team, and we start to own our own righteousness. And guess what? The same thing is true. 30 years later, after following Jesus Christ, your righteousness comes alone from Jesus' blood on the cross and not a single thing you bring to it. And if you think that what you're doing is bringing righteousness to yourself, you have an issue of pride. And it's keeping you from being the fully devoted follower and in the full relationship that Jesus calls you to be in. So I ask you, do you have an issue of pride that's keeping you from knowing Jesus like he wants to know you and from you knowing him like you want like he wants you to. Pride, that's the first. Second one is this, guilt. And guilt, pretty simply, is this. I'm just, I'm ashamed to ask God for help. Have you ever felt that way? Have you? You know, where you you do this thing, maybe it's the 100,000th time you've done it, or maybe it's something that to you is so huge, there's just no way you can go to the face of God. You want to run from him. You want to hide from God. Right? I got to tell you, there's another case study that I want to look at really quick. It's another one of the disciples, and his name is Judas. He's the one who betrayed Jesus in the garden. I'm going to look, Matthew chapter 27, starting in verse 1, it says this. When it was morning, the chief priests and the Jewish leaders met again to discuss how to induce the Roman government to sentence Jesus to death. Then they sent him in chains to Pilate, the Roman governor. Now, here's what's going on. He's already betrayed him, and he sees what's going down. Judas gets it. He's kind of, uh-oh, whoa, bad news, man. All right, verse 3. About that time, Judas, who betrayed him, when he saw that Jesus had been condemned to die, changed his mind and deeply regretted what he had done and brought the money back to the chief priests and other Jewish leaders. I have sinned, he declared, for I betrayed an innocent man. And they say, that's your problem. Then he threw the money onto the floor of the temple and went out and hanged himself. One of Jesus' very own disciples who followed him closely for three years of ministry felt like he'd gotten to a point where something that he had done was unforgivable by Jesus. And instead of turning to Jesus for the forgiveness that he needs, he runs and hides. You see it in the garden with Adam and Eve. Soon as sin enters, guilt moves in and it separates us because We're trying to do it in our own strength, right? For many of us, we have, you know what? I don't know if you're having, if you're you're struggling with addictions or behaviors or relationships or whatever it is where you're doing things that make you feel guilty and so you run away. And here's the thing. Here's what I want you to understand about this pattern. See, Satan is called the liar. So he tells you lies and you believe him. 
There are all kinds of lies. You should do this. This is better for you. And we buy it and we do it. And then as soon as we fall for the sin, you know what another name of, of Satan is? The accuser. We buy the lie. We commit the sin. We believe the accused. And we become guilty. And in shame, instead of turning to Jesus for forgiveness, we run away from him. Let me ask you guys. Do you have something in your life where you're so ashamed you can't even lift your face to look at Jesus and say, forgive me, a sinner? Because Satan would love nothing more than to keep you at bay with this sin that's running you down and owning your life and keep you from being in the full relationship and the grace and truth and love with Jesus. Guilt. The second. What's the third thing that's keeping us from being in that relationship that we need to let go of? It's fear. What am I afraid I'm going to have to give up? You may have heard this story a guy falls off a cliff, and as he's falling down, he reaches out and he grabs a branch that's sticking out of the side of the mountain he's holding on. And he looks down, there's 500 feet below him. He looks up 500 feet above him. He's like, oh no. He's holding on. He's like, what am I going to do? So he starts screaming out, help, help, someone help, help. And he hears a voice, and the voice goes, this is God. I can help you. Okay, God, what do I have to do? And God says, let go of the branch. I'll catch you. He looks down again, looks up, and says, is there anyone else who can help me? See, for many of us, we're afraid of what we've got to let go of to take the step. And many of us are hanging on to this branch that's 500 feet from the ground, 500 feet above us to new ground. And we're like, you know what? This isn't that bad. I'll just stay here because I'm afraid of letting go. Let me ask you, what are you afraid of? If you were to fully commit your life to Christ, what are you afraid of? You afraid he's going to turn you into a nun? You afraid he's going to take your possessions away, ruin your relationships? Afraid he's going to take your friends away? What is it you're, truly, what is it you're afraid of? And I'm going to ask you, think about that. Is there something that you are afraid of that's keeping you from going, I'm all in? Because I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's stuff that I'm afraid of. I'm a pastor at a church, and on a daily, weekly, monthly basis, I deal with fears that I have where I'm afraid of letting go of something because I'm afraid God's going to take it away from me. And here's what's tricky about this. And I've, even if he does, what I believe is what I'm holding on to is better than what he wants to give me if I would let go. You realize as long as you're holding on to something, nothing goes in your hands but, but what you're holding on to. As soon as you let go, something new can go in. And don't believe this lie. Like you, you say, well, if I, if I, if I, I'm afraid because then God's going to control my life. Well, just know this. We're controlled by stuff. You're controlled by the way your parents raised you. You're controlled by relationships. The difference is this. You can choose 
to allow God to control you. That's actually what freedom is. You choose what's going to control you and let God control you. The question is for you, do you have an ambition that you're afraid of letting go of? Do you have a relationship that you're scared to lose? Do you have a behavior or a habit? Whatever it is, that thing that you're holding on to that you refuse to let go of is keeping you from being in the fullness of the relationship that Jesus Christ has called us to. And you'll never know the full beauty until you let go of that fear. I want to look at this verse, another passage here. This is Mark 10. It says this. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and said to him, One thing you lack, go and sell all you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But at these words, he was saddened, and he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. What's actually going on here? See, he, first he comes up and he says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? First he wants to do something, right? Back to that whole thing we talked about in the beginning. It's nothing he can do, but he wants to do it. And so he says, well, you know the commandments? He says, well, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus, looking into this guy, goes, see, you're doing all this stuff. You're trying to earn this stuff. But the reality is you have things in your life, and it's financial. It's, it's property. It's ownership. It's power. All these things that you're holding on to, you're afraid to let go of that. And those are the true gods you're really serving. And so Jesus, looking into his soul, says, let go of that and follow me. And what happens? Finally, something he couldn't buy. Something he couldn't do. Something that he had to rely on someone else's control to come under. And he leaves sad with all his money and all his property. Mark eight thirty six. How does it man benefit if he gains the whole world and loses his soul in the process? Is anything worth more than his soul? And the obvious answer, No. I want to look at the fourth, and that's worry. And worry is, so we have pride, guilt, fear of what we have to let go, and worry. And worry is where you confuse the decision-making phase and the problem-solving phase of your life. I, I want to, a story, I, I, just, I was just in France last week, um, and many, I just, first of all, many of you here in this building today, many others, were a part of helping me be able to make that happen, and it was a stunningly amazing experience for me, and um, I'm not going to go into all the details behind it, but I just want to take a minute to just say to every single person here who prayed for me or was able to help me financially make this happen, from the depths of my very being, I cannot thank you enough. It was amazing. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But, why does everyone always have a big but? 
but it's Pee Wee Herman. Uh, anyway, um, the experience was amazing, except for one thing. When I was done, I was in down, so I flew into Paris, and then um, and then then I went down to Avignon, which is the southern part of France. I'm. I know, like, no French. I, I had one semester in high school. I remember I can count to 11 uh, in French, and I know moule poulet, which is wet chicken. And s believe it or not, that is not that helpful in France. <laughs> I was really counting on that one, and it failed me. Um, so I get down to Avenue. I have this whole thing for a week, and then I go to get on the train, and my ticket uh, I'd purchased before, it just has a seat number. It doesn't say what car, so I go up to the guy, and I'm like, hey, I don't, where, where, where do I... Help me get on the train. He's like, okay, it's the next train that comes in. Jump on that train, and uh, you're going to be in cart number four or three or two, B, C, F, I don't know. As best I could understand him, at least. Uh, that was a problem because a lot of French people don't speak English. Anyway, um, I get on the train. You got like two minutes before the train bolts out of there. So I get on the train, and um, I, go to, I pull out my thing, and I look at this guy, and I'm like, He's like, mm, he's same seat. I'm like, all right, son of a gun. Whatever, I'm probably in the wrong car. So I sit down, and they do this really fun thing. They don't check your ticket before you get on. They check after. And so I'm about 20 minutes down the road here on this train ride, and they come around to check tickets, and the guy's like, yeah, wrong train. Oh, no. Immediately stress. Moupoule? Didn't work. And uh, so I'm super stressed, and I, but, I, but I'm talking to the guy. He actually speaks a little bit of English, and he says, just, this is going to go all the way to Paris, but I had to go to the airport, which is a different place. He goes, this is going to go all the way to Paris, then you just get off and get on another train. No problem. Seemed easy enough. So I get, I get to Paris, I get off, and the train I have to take is actually the subway. Uh, there was no English going on there, let me just tell you that much. But to the best of my ability, what I understand is I've got to get on the A train and take that first stop to get on the B train, and the B train will take me all the way to the airport. I'm like, okay, I can handle this. Just cool out. All right. I get on the A train. I get off. There's the B train. I get on, and I look, and it shows that it goes, like, it's got this chart of, like, you know, if you've been on tracks, and, like, and it's got the airport on this thing, so I'm like, okay. So I get on that train, and the problem is at one point it, it like forks and goes in two directions. So my airport route is on the bottom. This train goes the upward route, wrong direction. So I'm like, oh, okay. Now here's the point. I'm going in the wrong direction. And I'm aware of it. I just don't know what to do about it. And I realize this is supposed to be about a 40-minute ride. I'm already about an hour and a half in on this thing. My anxiety is through the roof, and I'm pretty sure I'm going to get killed so they can steal my suitcase full of dirty clothes. Or, you, know, I'm, you know how you make up all these crazy scenarios of what's going to happen, like, oh, look at American dirty clothes. Uh, and so... Um, <laughs> So anyway, I'm, I'm, I, my, I'm getting super anxious, and, and, and finally, this train comes to the end, and I, I'm like, okay, well, I'm not at the airport. I got to get off this train. 
and I have all of this worry. I gotta get off the train. And you can tell I'm not a world traveler. Some of you guys are like, seriously, I do this every day. <laughs> I don't. Anyway, so I, I, I just get off the train. I get on another train because I gotta go back to somewhere else to get off that train to get on to another train. This is the A to B plan, wasn't right. To get on that train, to get off that train, to get another train that gets me there eventually. I'm here, so eventually, you, you can tell, I figured it out eventually. <laughs> but here's why I tell you this story. For many of us in this room, we have these life experiences where we get on this train, whatever that train is, a behavior, a relationship, whatever it is, and we know we're going in the wrong direction, but we're just so scared to get off that train because I, and this was me, I didn't know what to do next. I knew as soon as I got off that train, I had to figure out what to do next. And so in my mind, I started to try and figure out, well, what train am I going to get on? I don't know how to, and it was so overwhelming to me, I just sat there and I rode that train all the way to the end. And eventually I got off the train, I got on the right train, I got back, got on the next right train one step at a time. And it was really interesting because I wrote this uh, song. It's, I took a psalm and I wrote a song to it and, and recorded it a while ago. And I remember just sitting on the train <laughs> singing this song in my head and, the, and the, I will not fear for the when the mountains tremble. I will not fear when the world falls apart. And I'm sitting there on this train just singing this in my head going, you don't even believe this crap. The, the world is not, the mountains are not crumbling, the world is not trembling, you just are on the wrong train. And you don't believe that Jesus Christ has got you covered right here. <laughs> and I, as soon as I said that last service, I thought maybe that was the whole reason I went to France. But for many of us here, you're on a wrong train. I don't know what your train is, but you're just so afraid to get off because of all the things that are going to have to follow. And here's what I want to tell you. Don't worry about that. Just get off the train. Just get off the train. Worry about the next train you got to get on in a second. But you're never going to get on the right train until you get off the wrong train. It says in Philippians 1, it says, And I am certain that God who began the work with, good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. What's that mean? That means Jesus Christ is doing the work in your life, and he's faithful. Trust him. Don't worry about all the junk that surrounds it. Just believe that he's beginning a work in you, and he wants to do it. But as long as you stay on the wrong train, it's not going to happen. It's his work. So pride, guilt, fear, worry. And I don't know, you know what? I don't know what you're worried about. I don't know if you give up, you know, if you, if you take that step to get off. I don't, I don't know what's in front of you. And it may, be a tr it may be a mess. I don't know. All I know is take that first step before you can take the second step. The last one is this, doubt, and that we struggle with this idea that our faith just seems so small. Look at Mark chapter 9, verse 22. It says this, have mercy on us and help us if you can. And now this is first, let me just understand, this is, this is a father of a kid who's, who's demon-possessed. 
and he's talking to Jesus to heal his son. Big deal. And he says again, have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. What's he saying? My faith is small. And the point is this. It doesn't matter how small your faith is. It matters that your faith is in the right thing. So when your faith is in the wrong stuff, you have a problem. He goes uh, later, or in Matthew, he says this, for if you had even as small as a tiny, faith as small as a tiny mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move, and it would go away, for nothing would be impossible. Here's the point. Mustard seed, tiny little seed. He's saying, you don't need tons of faith. You just got to put your faith in the right stuff, and good stuff's going to happen. But instead, we have this doubt, oh, I don't have enough faith. Here's the point. When you start thinking like that, what you're actually doing is, who, who's in control of the faith? What matters is the amount of faith that I have. Oh, see, but I thought Jesus was supposed to do the work. See, as soon as I quantify it on the amount of faith that I have versus the person that I have faith in, I bring it back to my own abilities, controlling my own destiny. And here's what I want to do. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to close out our morning with some musical worship. And For all of you guys, I don't know. I just wanted you to take a second, because I don't know what you struggle with. And maybe you struggle with a few of these things, maybe all of these things. Maybe it depends on the day. I'm not sure. But I do believe this, that every single person in this room struggles with this stuff. Maybe it's pride, I don't know. Maybe you're trying to manage and control your own destiny. Maybe you have these thoughts and ideas about what should happen and what shouldn't happen. You want to pick and choose from the Bible what you want to follow and not follow. Maybe, maybe it's guilt. Maybe you've done that one sin that Jesus didn't die for. Maybe you just have been battling something for so long that you don't believe it's forgivable anymore because you just keep doing the same darn thing over and over. Maybe you're afraid of something you have to let go. Maybe you're thinking, you know, if I, if I follow him, then I'll, what, about, what about my kids or my finances or what about this relationship? That I, maybe that's what you're struggling with right now. Or maybe you're just the worry of trying to figure out, you know, but if I do this, then this, 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 and this. I don't know. I don't think I have enough faith. I just don't believe. Here's what I want you to do right now. In your program, there's a little, I'm calling it a, a Dear John letter. I want you to take a second and think about what we've talked about this morning and ask yourself this question honestly. Are one of these five things in your life keeping you from knowing Jesus Christ in the manner in which he designed us to know him? Think about it. Do you have something? Because what I want you to do, if you're ready to do this today, and if not, I'm going to tell you to take this home and hang it on a fridge or a mirror so you see it every day and ask yourself until you get to the point that you can actually fill this Dear John letter out and let go of the junk that's keeping you from him. And I want you to write in that first line, Dear pride, dear guilt, 
fear, fear, worry, doubt, whatever it is, whatever your thing is, write that in there. And you're going to go on and read this for too long. I've allowed you to steal my joy and blessing. You have been keeping me from becoming everything that God desires for me to be. You are holding me back from knowing God in all his fullness. Today I'm letting you go. I choose to no longer allow you to keep me from him. And then in the bottom of this, I accept Jesus. Whether it's your first time today or whether you're accepting him on a new reality and a new level of commitment to him, I accept Jesus as my Savior. And I accept God's word as my standard. You have to have a standard and it can't just be you. I accept God's word as my standard. I accept God's will as my strategy, knowing that he is a God who cares and he can do something about it. I'm going to embrace his will, God's will as my strategy. And I accept God's power, not my power, controlled by him, as my strength. Because you no longer control me. And I want you to take a pen. I want you to sign your name. I want to put a date on that. I want you to stick that on your fridge or your mirror every day when you wake up. Look at that thing and say, I've surrendered that. I'm under the control of a greater God than myself. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you care deeply enough to love us to the point of offering a plan for us to know you in spite of our own failings, our guilt, all the junk. And Satan would love nothing more for, uh, than for us to be frozen in this moment where we won't engage with you or we won't believe what's true or we won't follow your teachings. We, we, just, we offer that to you. We release it. We, we say, take that from me. I'm coming under your control. I follow you. I believe in you. I trust you. Bring me back into the right relationship that you designed. I love you so much. Amen.